from Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 338. Today's show is brought to you by Fitbod, Hover, and DoorDash. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Jason Snell. Hi, Jason Snell. Hi, Mike Hurley. How are you today? I'm doing great. Doing great. Wonderful. I have a hashtag Snell Talk question for you. It comes from Stitch. Mm -hmm. Stitch wants to know, did you enjoy the Super Bowl? I was relieved to have a Super Bowl that didn't involve a team that I cared about at all. Um, okay. Last year, I cared about the Super Bowl, and this year, I I didn't, and so that was kind of nice. And uh, yeah, sure, it was fun. I watched the whole thing, and all the commercials are interesting. And I was watching Twitter, and I think you put all those things together, and you're kind of there's a moment where everybody's sort of watching the same TV show, and I think that's a fun thing to do. So, and you know, we had some chips and guacamole, and yeah, it was nice. I will say, you know, you say about these were two teams that you didn't really care about. Uh, I will say they were two teams that I, the names of which I did not recognize. Ah, yes. As a non American uh, Mm -hmm. football watcher. Yes. They watched the halftime show, though. Uh, I watched that. Yeah, sure. I I liked it. I'm a big fan of The Weeknd. I I like The Weeknd's music a lot. I saw a tweet that said the people who know that it's spelled The Weeknd liked it and the people who thought it spelled the weekend didn't like it <laughs> and I thought that's about that is right fair that is very I, fair i love the fact that a guy i saw at an apple event uh oh <laughs> right yeah was at the super bowl halftime show that was pretty fun um yeah he's good and i, I liked it i liked the whole thing they did it uh you know usually super bowl halftime they bring a, a stage out to the middle of the field and they have like a bunch of people run in who are not there for the game but they're like screaming fans and because mm-hmm. of the pandemic they didn't do that and they had this space in that stadium that during the regular season it's it's like a pirate ship because it's the tampa bay buccaneers there's a there's like a pirate ship there mm-hmm. and it fires off like fake cannons and stuff when they score touchdowns and i don't know um and they made that into like the stage for the weekend and he had his weird glowing eyed kind of robot monster people mm-hmm. uh which i really liked i liked how creepy it was and then he goes into the hall of mirrors and they're bumping into him and all of that i really like the staging of it and then he just it was very theatrical mm-hmm. and then they end up all kind of like marching down the field at the end i really liked it i thought it was good yeah i thought the yeah. visuals of it was great and i love his music so i think it fit very nicely yes for, for that environment so yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun. Was there anything ad-related that was of interest to you? Well, it, I have a little mini upstream note, which okay. is uh, the the broadcast was on CBS in the United States. The CBS got the broadcast this year. And uh, we've talked about how after, you know, the very much fraught merger between, re-merger between Viacom and CBS, they had to figure out what they were doing for their streaming service strategy. And they ultimately decided to call it Paramount Plus because, sure, you do. it's got a plus. Yep. And I think Paramount Plus is a better name for a streaming service than CBS All Access because CBS All Access sounds like uh, a chance to watch old episodes of CSI. Um, and Paramount Plus actually sounds like a streaming service that's got a lot of stuff on it. So that's what they are going with. And that launches March 3rd, I want to say. It launches in a month, basically, a little less than a month. And since they had the Super Bowl, there is a whole ad campaign during the Super Bowl uh, the repeated ads, sort of like an ongoing story that I thought was a funny like comedy bit that they did with all the properties of the corporate behemoth, but lighthearted. Uh, and uh, so they heavily pushed that, uh, which I think, uh, you know, you got the stage, you got the Super Bowl, you're launching yep. your thing in a month. The only thing the way that would have made it better is if they launched it like today. Yeah. But apparently they couldn't do that. So they're launching it in March and they're still, I think it was the right thing to do to promote it. 
That's probably the why they paid that. the money they paid for the Super Bowl. Well, I mean, they it, it's that's more complicated. Like they pay those contracts if you're an NFL uh, broadcaster, you get in the rotation. And they did actually change who broadcast this year, right. and it had to do with like who had other events in the year that they wanted to promote. They swapped dates with one of the other oh, networks, but it wasn't clever. about this, and that happens way in advance. So, right. but it was a happy accident, and I, I think they must have had that moment where just like, well, we gotta promote the streaming service at the Super Bowl, but we can't launch it in time, so we'll just say it's coming in March. And I think it would have been more effective. If they could have said, you know, CBS All Access is now Paramount Plus, sign up today. And instead they're like, March 3rd, which, you know. Oh, that's a shame because it's so close too, right? Yeah. But some, that sometimes, yeah. you know, the best laid plans and all that kind of stuff. But I do I do think, you know, as silly, uh, we make fun of the branding and all that, but they took a broad... It's like a classic movie name from from entertainment history that they own, which is Paramount. And yeah, they stuck a plus on it, I know. Paramount's the better brand. It's like why Warner Brothers went with HBO Max, right? Like HBO is a better brand. Exactly. And it's a worldwide brand in the way that CBS is most definitely not. And also, again, CBS means something in America, but it doesn't necessarily mean what you want it to mean. Like... Watching, as a Star Trek fan, watching press kind of contort themselves to explain that no, Star Trek is not on CBS, it's on CBS All Access, which is a streaming thing, but it's the name for the broadcast thing, but it's not on the broadcast thing, except, you know, one episode is, and now they're going to rerun some, and it gets very confusing. It's much easier to be like, no, 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 it's a streaming service, that's all you need to know. If you would like to send in a question to help us open a future episode of the show, just send out a tweet with the hashtag SnowTalk or use question mark SnowTalk in the RelayFM members' Discord. couple of follow-up notes. So this is kind of funny because we can not only give some follow-up, but also provide follow-up for a thing that we haven't yet spoken about, which was the returning of the DTK, the developer transition kits. So last week sometime, Apple contacted developers who received their ARM Mac Mini developer transition kits to tell them that the time was coming for them to return them. We all knew that they would need to be returned. Yes. It was the obvious thing. Uh, Precedent had been set with the Intel uh, transition kit that Apple would likely offer some large discount or a free M1 Mac for those in the program. So what people were expecting, they were expecting some kind of like, hey, give us the hardware back. You did pay us $500, so we'll say thank you with this. Uh, mm-hmm. On this occasion, Apple offered a $200 credit towards an M1 Mac that you had to purchase before the end of May. This upset people for a bunch of reasons. It's a very small amount, right? $200. Yep. Um, you probably already bought one, right? There's unlikely to be any, not necessarily, it is unknown if there will be any Macs before the end of May that are new. It's very unlikely to be the MacBook Pros, which is what everybody would want, right? And you had to buy before the end of May. And apparently I was seeing on Twitter some developers, including Steve Trout and Smith, complaining of something I didn't know, which was a lot of the DTKs stopped working. Like there were lots of issues with them. Um, so and, you, you know, know it's e- it's easy to say oh well you know of course people want more stuff and but this is these are the most important people to Apple these are their developers mm-hmm. and these are their developers who want to be on the cutting edge and supporting their new platforms so you would think that they would they would try to do you know everything and I would say that the the, the this problem started early because um everybody with a DTK is they they expected that they were going to be able to get something from Apple out of it but then the M1 Max are announced and they're like okay now what apple and months go by mm-hmm. and i a lot of developers are like 
I'm going to wait and buy an M1 Mac once my DTK situation is resolved. And it's like, why did you make them wait? Why did you not make it clear up front that what they could do so that they could move on it immediately? But instead, they waited all this time. And then they put the, I mean, again, more money would be nicer than less money than $200. But also the restriction of you've got to, you can only use it on an M1 Mac and you have to use it by May. So if we announce anything at WWDC, you can't use it for that. It seemed, again, they could do what they want with this program. They really can. But it seemed very strange that they would be so limited with what they would offer, considering that these are their most important uh, people, really, which is their developers. And like, do do a good thing for your developers and for developer relations, please. Which, good news, eventually they did. So just a few days later, Apple increased the credit to $500, pushed the redemption date out to the end of the year, and said that if you already have an M1 Mac, you can use the credit on other Apple hardware. (laughs) It's just like, uh, oh, oh, you wanted different things? Oh, okay, we'll just give you those then. Uh, I would have loved to hear that conversation of like, Mm -hmm. oh, it turns out that everybody hates us for this. Why did we do it this way, Johnny? Johnny, did you do this? Yeah, I did this. I just wanted to save some money. Well, Johnny, get out there and give him $500 now. The the amount... which they reverse this, I think, kind of shows that <laughs> they weren't aware of why this would be a problem, right? Because because they they really they they could have done any of these three things and appeased people. You know, they would have not have appeased everyone, but they would have appeased people, right? Because mm-hmm. you could have said, "Oh, it's five hundred, or "Oh, don't worry, it's through the end of the year," or you can just use it on a new iPad or whatever. Uh, but instead, they just did all of them. Which I think yeah. is right. Honestly, I do think it's right to make developers whole for this because it's doing Apple a favor as much as the developers yes. a favor. Yeah, I think the the way we viewed the Intel transition kit, and I think that sh- the, the way that a lot of developers viewed this uh, Apple Silicon transition kit, is that you're essentially putting down a deposit on some ha- hardware that you're going to need to return to Apple. And that when you return it, you're going to, basically, you're going to get your money back because you're not... The idea here is that you're, you know, yes, you're going to have your stuff there on day one, but you're also doing Apple a favor by embrace and Apple, you know, it's a, it's a symbiotic relationship here. It's like, we're going to get you this advanced weird hardware because we really want your apps there on day one, but we're going to charge you for it is a weird thing. So like they could, I I think it's not unreasonable to view it as being uh, essentially free with a deposit and you want to get that money back at the end. And in the end, that is what they did. Uh, Bloomberg reports uh, that Dan Riccio's new role, so we spoke about this last week, that he was moving on from kind of head of hardware to a special project, is actually going to be overseeing an AR, VR uh, product development Mm. cycle. Um, I don't remember if I spoke about this, if I mentioned this on this show or on Connected, but this is what I thought it was, like the idea of him moving on to do a car, which is what everybody thought, seemed unlikely to me. It right. felt like considering they have this whole thing, which is sooner, which is moving into AR and VR projects, that in theory is going to be a, a really big deal. So having somebody oversee that makes more sense. And that's what Mark right. Gurman's reporting. I think this makes complete... Maybe he moves on to a car afterwards, if that's something Apple really is going to do. Um, but in the near term, there are other things to manage. And AR and VR is one of them. So that's what uh, Richo is going to be going on to do. Yeah, and it sounds like they're they're at the point, we're going to talk about this in a little bit, but it sounds like they're at the point where they need to make real products yeah. um, 
in that category. And the first one may not be much of a real product, but that that is they're entering the phase where they're going to go public with this stuff. And so having him kind of lead that effort makes more sense than than like far off car stuff, which, you know, we will we will talk about car stuff here eventually. But I feel like there's no rush. I think we've got a few years to talk about it. So we'll get to it. Yeah. So I will just note, like, there's so much stuff going on with the Apple car. And I've been collecting some notes, right? I collect links as I do for everything. And every week, I collect more links and delete old links because, like, one moment Kia's doing it, and then Kia's not doing it. Then they are doing yeah. it, and then they're not doing it. And it's, yeah, I'm kind of happy we haven't yet spoken about it because we would be doing follow up every single week on this about like, a product flip, that flip, flip, may or flop. may not exist, and who yeah. knows why. And I, I will say the the one thing that happened in the last week in your in the Apple Car news, and I, we're still uh, we need to come up with a name for our recurring Apple Car segment. Oh, I'm please. thinking upshift, but we can. Oh we my can work god! It out. All right, now we have to start talking about it because you came we'll, up with a we'll great work, name. We'll, We'll workshop it, but uh, the funny thing this week, what happened, so this is like a little uh, little side segment, um, is uh, there was a report that said Hyundai and Kia are going to totally make the Apple car in their plant in Georgia. And then like two days later, there was a story that was like, no, 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 nothing assigned. No, 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 nothing, nothing. And I can't decide whether there are negotiations going on and things are leaking from that. And then Apple gets mad and that Hyundai has to put out like their leaks that say, no, 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 nothing has happened. Or they totally have made the deal and Apple's unhappy that it leaked and Hyundai has to go out and say, no, 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 no. Or they made the deal, then they said it, Apple got so mad, canceled it, right? Like it could be any of those things. Could be, right? Yeah. It's hard to say from the outside what it is, but it is hilarious. I say, I, you know, I wouldn't want to be one of the people in, deeply involved in this because it's not hilarious to them. But to me, it's hilarious because it's very much like, uh, right, right in the Apple supply chain. Although there are leaks, most of the companies know, like nobody making a part for an iPhone is putting out a press release saying, "Hey, the next iPhone's going to be pretty great because of our thing that we're putting in the next iPhone that'll be coming this fall." Right? They know. They know you don't do that. You don't mm-hmm. pre-announce anything with Apple. Apple doesn't want you to do that. And it feels a little bit like there are people in the car industry who, you know, car industry, they're like, oh, concept car, new car. This car is coming out in two years and stuff like that. Who are like, yeah, we're going to be in the Apple car. And then people are like, no, you, you can't. You can't do that. And they're like, oh, I didn't. Oh, okay. Deny it. No, we're not in the, there is no Apple car. So they'll get, they'll get used to it. And then we'll have kind of normal leaks from the car industry. But right now it does feel a little bit like they don't know how to behave about secret Apple stuff. And so they're, it's, it's sloppy. It's messy. But I find it very funny that this is these, and this isn't the first time, right? This is the second time somebody has said, oh, Apple's got to deal with Hyundai. And then it's been like, no, 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 mm, absolutely not. And then wait, wait a month, and then it's, oh, Apple's got to deal with Hyundai. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> All right, this episode is brought to you by our friends over at FitBod, the fitness app that provides a personalized exercise plan, a fitness plan that actually fits you. When it comes to fitness, FitBod believes everyone can be better. Whether you're working out three days a week or twice a day, FitBod has an algorithm that uses data and analytics to help you build on your previous workout so that your next workout is scientifically proven to be better than your last. FitBot has been fine-tuned by certified personal trainers to bring the best practices of strength training to you. Your workout program is tailored exactly to your needs. It's suited to your unique body, experience, environment, and goals. Look, it can be hard to know exactly how much you should be doing while exercising, but FitBot figures 
that all out for you so you don't have to worry about under or over training. FitBob will also mix up muscle groups, exercises, sets, reps, and weight over time to keep you on top form so you don't have to spend hours researching the best exercises to get the best results. If you're working out at home right now, FitBod has a bunch of bodyweight-only workouts that are great for indoors or outdoors. If you have access to gym equipment, they have tons of great workout options there for you too. FitBod is there to help you with any exercise routine that you have, anything that you want, anything that you need. I really love that. Fit, I love two things about FitBod especially. One is they have really great videos, little like GIF video type things that show you how to do the exercise. So you can re- look at those. If it's something new for you, great. But if you're used to the exercises, maybe you're into a bit of a rhythm with them. You can use that Apple Watch app to very quickly and easily advance to the next exercises in your workout. And also maybe to change the reps and the stuff that you want to do for that specific workout, you can do them all on the Apple Watch. So you're staying away from your phone, you're able to focus on what you're doing. FitBot is available on iOS and Android, and you can get started right now by going to fitbod.me slash upgrade, and you'll get 25% off your membership. That's fitbod.me slash upgrade to try out FitBot for free, and then get 25% off your FitBot membership. Our thanks to FitBot for their support of this show and Relay FM. So the information has a report on Apple's upcoming AR, VR, MR headset. Mm. Um, It's scheduled to launch, quote, as early as next year, so not before (laughs) 2022, uh, but uh, uh, 2022 onwards. This is a thing that I see, like, Bloomberg say this a lot, like Mark Gomez says this a lot too, as early as, right? Because it's like they have an idea, but they don't know when it's going to be. So they've got some information about some hardware features. So one is more than a dozen cameras for tracking hand movements. Um, And apparently there'll be also some thimble-like device potentially that could be worn on a finger. But it seems like from this report, they may be really leaning into hand tracking for Mm -hmm. some kind of AR, VR headset. I don't want them to to rely solely on hand tracking myself. I, I I think there should also be some kind of controllers. What do you think? Well, I haven't had an experience with like pure hand tracking in in VR or AR. Um, I I see the importance of having the controllers because remember I, my first VR thing was a PS VR with just a controller and not the PS Move things, and so it didn't um it, it didn't hand track basically, and mm-hmm. that was that was not great. And now with the the Oculus Quest Two, it has individual hand controllers, and so it does controller-based tracking and it is like night and day i can see the appeal of not even having to do that optionally and have you know it just has cameras and it can sense where your hands are and it uses that Uh, my concern is that you know you're giving up some specificity of input and you're um right because you don't have buttons that you can push and also you're relying on a view from above to your hand and that also probably means that you could make small gestures sort of in the shadow, you know, out of the line of sight that it wouldn't pick up mm-hmm. potentially. And I worry that just doing it based entirely on um, a camera, I worry about precision, right? Because one of the things that amazes me that's magical about the uh, Quest 2 ping pong game is that it is shockingly precise in simulating that. That said, 
I'm not playing ping pong. I mean, ping pong is a good example where I'm holding a paddle in my hand, so I'm holding the controller, so it feels real. But in most of these cases, you know, you're supposed to be reaching out with your hands, but you're in fact lifting a hand that's holding a controller and pressing a button. And that's not... So I I see the appeal of hand tracking. Um, You know, I guess what I would say is having something that allows you to have a more precise experience as an option is probably the right way to do it. If you think about the iPad letting you use the Apple Pencil or a finger or attaching a keyboard, I sort of think that AR and VR maybe needs the same approach, which is maybe you want a game controller. Maybe you want uh, you know, hand tracking controllers, or maybe you don't need any of those for this application and you can just use your hands and that's and, and swipe in the air like on a science fiction TV show and that's enough. So I'm kind of open about it. I see the appeal of doing it purely that way but i also see all the ways that if you didn't implement it kind of perfectly and brilliantly it would have downsides it's like the i think we spoke about this on upgrade plus a little bit ago when we were talking about the oculus quest there is there is hand tracking there is a hand tracking mode and there are some games that do it and the experience that i've had is quite limited the experience that i've had is okay Right, it's like that was impressive that this kind of works at all that you know right. that I'm pointing, right? But unless Apple has some huge leapfrog over Oculus on this, I would be concerned. And well, that's that's the question, right? Is like uh, what we know. We don't know whether that is because it's really really hard, or whether because I mean, if Apple can do it, right? That that's not having the product. It's like, well, sure, maybe Apple solved this problem that otherwise is bad. And they've done that before. Maybe they did it again. Or maybe not. (laughs) We don't know. Can you imagine like an Apple VR controller? They're just these two like buttonless like plinths course. that you just hold and you have to <laughs> just, just all that one touch surface <laughs> you have to just work out exactly where to hit it uh, the cameras apparently will also be able to pass vision to the headset so to create that kind of mixed reality mode so that's how it goes from ar to vr right it can either show you just what's on the displays or it can as well as using those cameras from tracking for tracking can use them to show the world outside of the headset so it could be used for ar or vr yeah, and although you look really dumb wearing a VR headset and moving around, mm-hmm. if you can see, at least at least you 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 don't look very good, but you can see and there are some delightful things that you can do. I mean, like I'm delighted by the low resolution black and white mixed reality mode yep. that I can put the Oculus Quest in because there not only is it just kind of hilarious, but it's also very useful because otherwise you can't see the world around you in any context. And if you can couple that to you have good cameras and you couple that to really good displays and again you're gonna look like a dummy (laughs) you're gonna you're gonna look ridiculous Mm -hmm. but you could actually like walk around and do stuff and have it be which is why microsoft always talked about like hololens as a um as a business tool right this is like you're not gonna walk around your house in this thing but if you were using it for a business application you would have a an excuse for looking so silly uh apparently as well so this is this is that going into that two 8K displays inside of this, which seems aggressive. Um, I, I mean, I'm, maybe I'm not fam- completely familiar with the current state of VR headsets, but I know at a point that it was just one display, and it was across the whole thing, and you would just look at it, and they split it down the middle. Uh-huh. Maybe you do it now with two displays instead, two small displays. 
Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm looking. I'm trying to find this out from looking at the Oculus page right now. And your I can't question is: Do they it. mean two AK displays, or do they mean there's an AK display that's split across the two? Maybe they misunderstood this or something. The, right. The the point here, though, is that Apple is shooting for a level of um, graphics detail that the existing displays don't have. And I feel like that might the, be quite an ask. So especially with mm-hmm. passing the Passing the outside world in, right? It's a lot of data to handle because you have to do it in as close to real time as possible, right? To stop people from feeling nauseated, you can't have like a couple of second delay from me moving my head if I and then and then the world moving. You need some serious graphics power to drive those things. You know that's the question. And eight K, right? Like Mm. that's that's the thing. Like just to do it, I expect is quite intensive, but to do it at eight K feels like a lot mm. i mean i guess this is the this is going to be one of i think the more interesting tests of apple silicon so i think what we're looking at here is apple wanting to build the platform knowing that it's not going to ship in in um volume for years mm-hmm. right not not going to ship in volume with that first product it's really going to be uh, the year after that or the year after that even, that it ships to regular customers at a regular price. And so what Apple's doing is smart if that's what they're doing, which is it's imagining the moment when you could almost view it as being Apple drawing a line and saying, below here, it's not good enough for us, right? And we also, there's also some injection of reality there. Like, we're also not going to get there in a year. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to build what the tech would be. What's state-of-the-art in VR? in 2023-2024 because there's no point in building a 720p VR headset platform and and not shipping it for 4 years or 3 years because you know the world has moved on by then so this is very much what you do if you were shooting for tech advancement that will take you where you want to go in 3 or 4 years and in the meantime all you have to do is make a kind of heavy super expensive technical demo version in you know for in a year which is what the reports suggest is going on and we've talked about some of those before that this is not there is going to be expensive and it's not going to be um in volume and we don't know whether they're going to call it a a developer kit or whether they're going to claim it's a consumer product but nobody's going to buy it because it's going to be so expensive but that sort of makes sense if what they're really trying to do is get everybody thinking about what the standard for vr and ar is going to be when they ship that real product in you know 2023 2024 2025 um so on that level it makes sense to me like you know shoot shoot for as high end as you can right now because that high end is going to be the mainstream by the time the product comes out the real product yeah so there's there is some more hardware features but on that note because it, it leads into what you were saying the information's quoting that the price is currently expected to be in the realm of three thousand dollars which yeah. is i mean that's going to make it a niche product apple mm-hmm. apparently also has an internal goal of selling two hundred and fifty thousand in the first year they don't expect to sell more than that now what you could argue is there's a couple of things going on. There is one that 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 part of the argument which we spoke about a couple of weeks ago that this is a project that exists now to encourage development and take up for a, their future more refined AR glasses project. But the other part, lending into what you were just saying, is if you start with this, you you will start driving the cost down just because you're making it. 
you know, this sure. reminds me of prices of folding phones, right? You know, when Samsung came out with their first folding phones, they were incredibly expensive. And then they've been bringing that price down. And one of the ways they can bring the price down is by actually making it, right? Like it's a funny thing, but you, you can push the development of the technology forward by actually producing the products. But I mean, $3,000 is going to be a lot of money I mean, for something it's like not this. A, it, it, it's not a real product. Like it's not a real product. And, no. and, and uh, every time we cover this, we say the same thing, which is it doesn't sound like Apple, right? This, you mentioned the folding phones. The way this product is described is described like Apple's going to make a folding phone and it's going to cost $2,000, mm-hmm. like all those other folding phones. Mm-hmm. And it's not practical and almost nobody's going to buy one and it's going to be fragile, but uh, it's the future eventually the and we'll see where future. it goes. Yeah. But they don't do that. That's the thing is Apple tends right. not to do that with a product like, like that. So because this is in a new category, that's why I keep casting it. And, and, and this is me wanting Apple to really cast it as being, it's not a product for every day. It is for maybe specific high-end businesses. I could see them getting some, you know, uh, special effects artist up on stage or something like that and saying, oh, well, they can, they can use it for this. And for developers of uh, AR and VR applications to plan for the future. And they can pitch it that way and say that, you know, here's a product that, that nobody wants except these very specific things. It's weird, but that's the only way it makes sense to me. Like, this is not a product for, for regular people. It's only really a product that is saying, this is where we're going. And, you know, check back in two years when we make a product that you can actually afford and you would actually want to use. So apparently this device will also feature eye tracking. Mm-hmm. Which it's is good. new. I mean, I can understand that making sense. I haven't seen that on any competitor products. It's not something that I remember. I can see how these two things would go hand in hand. And especially for AR glasses in the future, I could imagine eye tracking being an important part of that. And multiple headbands that have features of their own. One headband has spatial audio built into it, another with additional battery. This is something we always thought about for Apple Watches. AirPods Max. Yeah, and for Apple, <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Like, well, it's finally the swappable headbands are here. Right, 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 Apple Watch, we talked about. They they obviously, in the first Apple Watch, were thinking that they might be able to do accessory things in the bands or something, mm-hmm. and it just never happened. Um, you know, obviously, before they even shipped it, they were like, no, we're not going to do that. But the idea that you could swap in different parts makes sense. I mean, the... The Oculus Quest, which again I have very limited experience with VR and AR stuff, but like I got a I got the better uh, headband for it, and it's vastly improved. But I could see how you might want to use that as an accessory that actually could add more functionality as you go um, for your three thousand. You know, <laughs> it starts at three thousand dollars. I guess is what we're saying. <laughs> uh, so the information have an illustration based on what they know, and this illustration has been around a lot because. It clearly isn't the final product because that just straight up wouldn't work, right? Like the, the the way that the product looks, you've got the you know the screens at the front and then a band that goes around your head, right? But mm-hmm. the issue with the band is there's no support on it. Like it would yeah. just be completely rested right on the back of your head, which it just wouldn't stay on, right? So, but ignoring the specifics of how the illustration is drawn, I can see this product existing, right? Because the components in there all look like, you know, say, ah, okay, I can see this, right? You've got, the straps look like Apple Watch straps. Yeah. 
the hardware itself looks like the AirPods Max, right? With like mm-hmm. the material on the face and the, the part on the front and the buttons and stuff. And whilst the illustration I don't think is perfect, I think it indicates how a product like this could come from Apple visually because it is building on these other things that they make. So you could see, I mean, and a genuine, that's why I think they will do it because they, they do this, right? Like they, like for the AirPods Max have the digital crown on them, right? Like right. Apple build on what they know how to make and adapt it. So I could see it. There. it it's true. I, the other, I mean, I, I reacted to that thing also saying that it seems like uh, somebody saw something and then they described it to someone else and they said, sure. well, it's kind of like an Apple Watch man. <laughs> like, yeah. all right, I know how to draw that. Sure. Yeah, nobody, the the illustrator had never seen anything. The illustrator just had somebody yep. tell them something to something to something exactly. to someone. It's a game of telephone a little bit. And Correct. so, I, you know, we'll, we'll but, but perhaps the person who saw it um, looked at the illustration and said, yeah, that's kind of it. But it's also not a final product, right? It's a product that's not going to ship before next year yep. at the earliest. So who knows um, what, of, you know, what of that is real. I don't know. It's, it's a very weird rumor. I mean, I buy this report. The information has had a good track record. Like, they had a really great report on the Magic Keyboard for iPad Pro. Like, it kind of seemed to come out of nowhere. And they had a lot of the details. And they've had good reports in the past. Like, I trust this. Because as well, going through it, it's like, whilst this all seems like so much, I can very much imagine this product in the way it's described coming from Apple. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, since the first rumors came out about this, I I had that moment where I realized Apple does all of this, right? Apple's got sensors and cameras and uh, screens and like it could do this product using what it's got from basically the iPhone. Mm -hmm. Could it make an iPhone that you put on your face? And the answer is absolutely it could. Um, this seems to be more than that, right? Like they, they, they don't, if they had wanted to do that, they could have done that probably a few years ago and they chose not to. Um, they seem to want to take it to another level. I'm still also, I just want to back up for a second and say, I'm also still a little surprised that Apple really is embracing VR in the way that this rumor says they are, because VR always felt like a weird fit to me for Apple. Like VR is basically, yes, there are Microsofty business considerations, but it's also a uh, very much a, a uh, gaming platform. And unless Apple's going to come out and say, "Oh no, this is for VR productivity," and you're going to be able to like have a nine thousand inch iPad that you can crawl over in VR and touch things and all of that, like <laughs> failing something like that, a, a VR productivity kind of pitch, which I'm I would be very skeptical of. I always thought AR made more sense for Apple, right? Because then it's we're out in the real world and you're wearing glasses. Um, and I, I wonder if this is just Apple realizing that it's going to be a while before the tech is good enough to do AR in public. And so the only way, you know, they pushed it as far forward as they can by putting LiDAR, scans, uh, LiDAR sensors on iPhones and iPads. And that the only way they're going to really keep pushing this tech forward till they get to the point where, where AR is practical is by taking an interim step to VR. I just don't know how great a fit VR is for Apple because you know, again, depending on what their pitch is, productivity and stuff like that, I don't know. I'm skeptical of that. It, it's going to come back to games. And now we've got, you know, virtual reality iPhone games. Is that something that people are going to really want? Is that a product that Apple is, you know, would ever really excel at? And that's, I guess that's that's what I struggle with this is I can kind of see 
the end result here, which is what's going to replace phones is probably like glasses that you just wear and that all the contents of your phone are there in your vision when you want them and you don't have to hold anything up uh, and put anything in your pocket. Like, okay, I think that's there's a strong argument that that may be ultimately where, where it goes in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, who knows? And that Apple wants to be uh, a leader there so they don't lose their advantage that they have in the smartphone market. And that all of this is really in you know, is about that. And ultimately they, they need to ship some products along the way because I'm still struggling with sort of like what, what's the product people want here. And it feels more like there isn't a product people want here, but they know it's headed for somewhere where there's a product people want. And they're just going to spend time and money creeping in that direction because they know, you know, they know that that's AR is where they want to get seamless AR that makes you not look like an income poop is where where they want to get, but they're just not going to be able to get there for 10 years. And so they have to work at it in the meantime. That's the best I can come up with right now because it's a very strange whole category, strange product, strange set of rumors. I'm still not, I don't, I don't disbelieve them. I think that it's probably happening. I'm just struggling to figure out why. That actually leads into a question. This was an Ask Upgrade question, but I wanted to talk about it here. Uh, Ian wrote in and said, it seems that the both of you consider to be hesitant regarding AR use in daily life, but what about specific use cases? AR doesn't have to be uh, all day to be game-changing. And I think I, I tend to be, I think maybe out of the two of us, I am the the most uh, concerned yes, about, about so. AR. And so, right, so here's my kind of thinking on it. Um, I like the idea of mixed reality, which is what this headset is which is you can use it for VR for whatever you use in VR and you can use it for AR for specific types of things like for example you can imagine IKEA having a mixed reality AR app so you no longer need manuals right and it can detect the pieces and show you how to put them together you know like HoloLens have done so many great demos of like have your granddad help you with the plumbing because he can see it and you can see it and then they can draw arrows and like you know great like gaming is great for AR and VR. Maybe video, I don't know. Um, you know, they, like typically at-home experiences for specific purposes. Sure. Great. What concerns me is this future product, the, the actual real goal, AR glasses, because that's where this is all moving to. Like Apple, for sure. I think even Facebook, they're not going into this to make a really great gaming system, right? They want... No the next smartphone that's what this is all for you make a really good point that i think that's exactly it is even though they are you know happy to have oculus in the short term as a leader in vr and gaming and all of those things the reason facebook is making that bet is the same reason that i theorized for apple doing mm-hmm. all of this which is the end result which is ar glasses that replace your smartphone essentially that are your view of all your data and your internet is just a pair of glasses that you wear around and Zuckerberg is like, he's said stuff like this in the past. You know, he, he's often quoted as saying that Facebook missed mobile and he always considers that a big mistake in his career, which he's is not why... not going to do it again. No, yeah. which is why he buys Instagram, buys WhatsApp, buys Oculus. He buys things that seem like they're becoming a thing to make sure that Facebook can do it. Um, and like the, the AR glasses product feels like the purpose of them is to create a product that you wear all the time. 
like an Apple Watch for your face. Or, or I mean, ultimately an iPhone for your face. Ultimately, yes. it's an iPhone yep. for your face. But yes, it would probably start as more of a, an Apple Watch for your face and then move on in functionality. Yeah, because no matter what that the, the eventual product that replaces the smartphone is, it's not going to be fully formed straight away. It's. Of I course. don't think we're going to get a something like that with the smartphone, where you could just replace your existing phone. No, and that's the, the where the Apple Watch parallel is good. It's going to be a a view of some of the data that's on your phone will migrate instead of being on your wrist, which is sort of what's happened with the Apple Watch. It will be in your vision, basically. And I don't feel comfortable with having apps and notifications and ads and services being in my vision. Like it feels too intrusive to me. Like I one of my one of the things that stops me from wanting to wear an Apple Watch all the time is I don't like the tapping. Right? <laughs> I don't like technology being physically connected to me in a way that it can demand my attention. So like this is something that going backwards well, and forwards wearing an Apple Watch, you know, like I wear it for a period of time and then not. That is one of the things that I've really come down to. And I look, don't tell me that I can like not you, Jason. Listeners, don't tell me I can turn off the notifications <laughs> and it not turn them me. off, Mike. Because that's the point when well, what's the friggin' point in wearing the device? Yeah. Like, you know, well, and, and this is you, you know, we can back up here because although we're kind of tech forward kind of people, like phones it's the same issue right the people will say this about phones too like i don't want my phone yeah, but i can put my phone down and walk away from it that's true i and also my phone this is almost like a snell talk question mm -hmm. my phone is permanently silenced <laughs> like right. i don't get noises from my phone either because i don't want them to bug me mm -hmm. i don't want i don't want it to bug me so you're right this is this is something that's in your face all the time i, I my counter to that would be um they're going to need to do a good job of setting the controls so that you're not constantly being distracted by this stuff. And then, you know, you can see that they'll, the first time they do it, they won't really do a good job. And then they'll be like, oh, no, 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 we're going to do better in the future. And there'll be a lot of op-eds written on the internet that are about like, why are we so distracted by our, our AR glasses? And <laughs> like, you can see, I think the difference may be my, this is my optimism, is that maybe smartphones especially have had such an impact on society that by the time AR glasses become practical, we will have remembered like, oh, right, we need to think about the impact these have on society before we deploy them because we saw what happened with smartphones and we don't want to have that again. Now, that I just don't think that any <laughs> technology company, including Apple, has the ability to make that decision. Well, and the Apple Watch would be your would, would be your example, right? It's like yeah. even even with all the controls that you've got, there's this feeling of like, I can't really control it and it's just in my way. And, you know, I, 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 I see it. I mean, even if, I mean, the, I guess my counter argument would be, what if you, because you, you're thinking about an Apple Watch in your face, what if you had a virtual phone? Okay, follow me here. What okay. if it was literally, um, you didn't have anything with you, but you could make a gesture or even lift up a hand like you were holding a phone and you had a virtual phone. Like you could, it could be that level of control where you don't see anything unless you summon it. And it's not overlaying as a normal matter of course. It's only when you summon it. Like there are, there are I don't think it has to be bad, but I think you are right in that that's going to be the barrier to acceptance of this stuff is that you're, you know, you're taking over my one of my senses, basically, to put your garbage in it. <laughs> I don't want that. I just think that 
the addiction that we have with our devices will be too strong uh, if it's there in front of us constantly. I think you're right. Um, I think, and that's what I was saying is I think there are some societal dangers here that uh, we're all going to have to to grapple with. But in terms of like Ian's question about hesitant regarding AR use in daily life, it's like, well, first off, I I do believe that this is the thing that's going to replace the smartphone. I really do. I really do believe that in the end, there will be some technology that will make it possible for you to have what we currently have on a piece of glass on our wrist or in our pocket, Mm -hmm. just be in the air in front of us. And that based on our eye movement and based on our hand movement, we're going to be able to, whether it's a virtual phone, virtual tablet, just a floating screen in front of us, you know, there are going to be ways to do it where you have all that data. And it's not going to start out that way. It's going to start out much more limited. But I do think that this is at least, if not, if I'm not certain, I would say at least it's got the potential to be the thing that finally actually replaces the smartphone as the thing that everybody uses. It has that potential mm-hmm. to be like your smartphone, but all you're doing is wearing a pair of glasses. Everybody's wearing a pair of glasses. And that's how we all have it. Are there societal implications to that? You bet there are. There are enormous societal implications to that. But, um, and we should be concerned about it. But I I don't think that's going to necessarily stop it from happening. And, you know, to get back to your original point, this is absolutely why Facebook and Apple and every other tech company are looking at this stuff is because nobody wants to be left on the side of the road when the next smartphone happens, because you can see what it did for Apple's business to be, to have a seat at the table for that. It's like, I'm not writing it off. Like I am a technology person, right? Like I love this stuff and I really want to see what Apple will do with this. And I'm sure they will create something that will excite me in the way that their products do excite me. But, I I have these very strong feelings about this stuff and I really hope that these concerns will be addressed evidently in whatever they do. Uh, but my, my gut feeling about this type of technology is, is currently not a good one. Mm. So um, okay. we're going to talk about this a lot over the coming years, but... Uh, that's that's kind of like as a, as a refresher, yeah. You because know, I don't know if I've gone into detail this much on the show about kind of like why I think this technology is con- it concerns me, and I do mention it a lot, and I'm mentioning it more. So that's kind of kind of where where we stand on it. No, I think that's good. I think, um, and again, this is the source of my optimism. I guess it's also the source of some of my pessimism, which is I do feel like the smartphone thing happened with no real thought given to how it was going to impact society. And my hope is that the next thing when it comes along, we will have enough collective memory of what just happened that we take some steps to changing our approach to it. The fear would be that we won't remember all the things that happened <laughs> and we'll just rush out the products that completely break and you know weirdly change our social interactions and everything that happens in the world and only after five or ten years of that will we you know realize that we need to do parental controls and time tracking and other things in order to make uh to try and fix all the things that the new tech broke it's like conspiracy theories feel more real when you can see them sure i can see ufos all the time now (laughs) in my augmented reality (laughs) classes 
This episode of Upgrade is brought to you by DoorDash. You're craving Chinese food tonight. Your friends want pizza. Someone else is craving Froyo. There's something for everyone on DoorDash. DoorDash connects you with the restaurants you love right now, right to your door. And you can get grocery essentials that you need with DoorDash too. Snacks, drinks, other household items delivered to you in under an hour. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want from where you want, and your items will be left safely outside your door with their contactless delivery drop-off setting. With over 300,000 partners in the US, Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia, you can support your neighborhood go-tos or choose from your favorite national chains like Popeyes, Chipotle, and and the Cheesecake Factory. Jason, I know you're a big fan of DoorDash. Can you tell me something you love about it? Uh, I, I like the idea that, um, especially if you're in a, uh, <laughs> COVID peak time where there's a lot of, uh, a lot of issues in terms of going out in public and you're trying to minimize your exposure. And that's definitely been the case for us in California the last few months. Um, the idea that you don't want to make dinner every night and you can kind of pre-order a dinner from a local restaurant and have it just sort of show up at your door with a knock and you didn't have to go outside. And I'm not always going to be that lazy, but sometimes I'm that lazy and I just (laughs) want the food to appear and we all are working out of our house and never leaving it to go anywhere. And then there's a knock at the door and that food that we ordered earlier in the day has arrived and it's a it's a nice change of pace too. So you know, there's a lot of lot of there's a lot to be said from going on the internet and tapping a few things on a on an order page and uh, having food arrive at your house warm. It's uh it's pretty good. For a limited time, listeners of this show can get twenty five percent off and zero delivery fees on their first order of fifteen dollars or more when you download the DoorDash app and use the code Upgrade twenty twenty one. And something special and new for our Australian listeners: if you use the code Upgrade Oz, so that's Upgrade A U S, you will also get that twenty five percent off. Up to $10 and zero delivery fees on your first order. Just download the DoorDash app in the App Store. Use the code UPGRADE2021 in the US and UPGRADE AUS in Australia. One more time, that's UPGRADE2021 or UPGRADE AUS for 25% off your first order with DoorDash. Subject to change, terms apply. Our thanks to DoorDash for their support of this show and Relay FM. I'm happy to have something specific for the Australians. Isn't that nice? Fair dinkum, mate. Is that a thing? Uh, I don't know. Okay. iOS and macOS betas are out. Uh, This came out, I think, just after we recorded last week. The thing that people were most excited about with iOS 14.5 and watchOS 7.4 is it enables iPhone unlocking without Face ID when you're wearing a mask. You've tried this out, right? I have. And what do you what do you think? I Im- immediately installed these betas, and it's it's quite a thing because you got to install the iOS beta and the watchOS beta to get it to work, and uh, it works. It's uh, pretty great. I in fact I didn't realize this. I actually take my car in for service, mm-hmm. and I'm standing wearing my mask in the uh, in the line, or or I guess I'm waiting for the guy to finish keying in whatever he needs to key in so that I can pay and go, and uh, I I just completely without thinking took my phone out of my pocket and flipped it open and i thought oh mask and then my watch tapped me on the wrist and it unlocked and i was using my my phone i was like oh real world test of this thing and uh it's pretty great i mean 
I've seen some people say, oh, well, you know, of course, it's just for people with the Apple Watch. Well, I, Apple's trying, essentially, this is something that Apple's trying to use whatever tools it might have at its disposal to make it easier to uh, unlock your phone when you're wearing a mask. And I applaud it. I wish it had happened, you know, last year. Um, but uh, it works. And, you know, if you're an Apple Watch wearer, it's great news, right? It's going to solve a problem that all of us are facing. And I think in the long run, there's going to be more mask wearing. And there are parts of the world where there, there's traditionally been a lot of mask wearing certain times of the year, for sure. So in general, I think it's a good feature to add, regardless of where Apple goes. Uh, you know, eventually, maybe they bring back Touch ID as well. But, uh, you know, we're going to have Face ID phones in service for a long time. Now... I, I've been trying to work out the answer to this as to how it's doing the unlocking. And I don't know if you know, like, is it doing anything to recognize that it's JSON? Like, is it doing a partial scan of so, the top of your face? I, I, my understanding is that it's, it's at least detecting that you're wearing a mask. Um, I talked to somebody who said that they tried, I think it was Dan Morin tried to like put some, like a napkin up in front of his face or something and it didn't work. Like it may actually have, they may have done some training on masks so that they get the sense of like, yeah. I've got a partial match and, and it may actually try to be partially matching what it knows the face is. And then also recognizing a mask. I, I'm unclear on exactly what the behavior is here. I'm hoping that Apple publish a white paper or something. I, I would like this. that too a better idea of exactly what it's doing. Because I, I really want to know, and, and I'm not trying, like it's not for being alarmist, but it's like, what is the security level now? Like, how secure is this? Is this more or less secure than my passcode? Like, I don't know. And I, I'm intrigued, because like, the thing about well, Face ID is just how incredibly secure this is. Yeah, well, the truth is, though, it's biometrically authenticating you based on your Apple Watch being on your wrist. So you will have either had to put in the Apple Watch password or mm -hmm. have unlocked your phone with Face ID or a passcode before while it was on your wrist to get it to work. So that's your passport, right, is the fact that you've got, just as it is on the Mac, if you're using Apple Watch to unlock things or Apple Pay on the Mac, is it the unlocked constantly on your wrist apple watch is your uh proof that you are who you are but it's like i'm, I'm intrigued though right like how how close does the watch need to be like for i mean look these are these are stupid things to to go through it has to, time, well it has but... to be close they didn't they didn't specify but it mm -hmm. has to be close so they're doing time of flight for sure which again is something that they've done with apple watch unlock for a bunch of other stuff too that's how the mac yep. Apple Watch Unlock works. So it's got to be very close to the phone and it taps your wrist when it unlocks. So if you had a, a bad person who, in a mask, who took your phone away from you and then tried to unlock it, even if they were close enough to unlock it, you would, um, you would know, right? Because you would get a tap that said, I just unlocked a phone. And so you couldn't be caught unawares by that. I, I, they seem to have stepped through this as much as possible. So in the end, I will say, if you've got a four-digit code on your watch and a sophisticated password on your phone, um, it means that you might be able to get into a phone by stealing a phone and a watch and breaking the four-digit code on the watch, right? Like that would become your weak 
your weaker link there, I guess. And I don't know whether it's trying to do a partial match on your face and you're, you know, the robber doesn't match or whether it would, would succeed that part. I don't know. Yeah. And it's, again, I'm not doing this to, to, to paint these wacky and wild scenarios, which of course could happen to some people, you know, there's, there's definitely something to be said about that. And, uh, but it's more like, I'm just intrigued, you know, like, so I, I do hope that Apple talk about it eventually right like what is the the distance and what is the kind of like the owner of the security that kind of thing it's just intriguing to me i'm I'm happy to hear it works um i'm surprised that it's now uh you know it's been a year (laughs) right like like it's not you know i'm sure this was very difficult um but it's not like this type of note this uh type of authentication is completely new to apple because you know the the watch and the phone on have an unlock between the two yeah. of them. The the watch unlocks the the Mac. My understanding, and I think Gruber was the one who wrote about this, is that the the challenge was that they have a a one direction flow of authentication here, which is you open your iPhone when you're wearing your watch, and your watch unlocks, which is very convenient, right? That's mm-hmm. nice. Mm-hmm. But now they need to use the watch as proof that the phone is authenticated. And they already built it the other way. And so, at least according to what I read, um, that was extra complexity because you can't have it, you know, you have to you have to make sure that the flow is only happening in one direction because, mm-hmm. you know, you can't, you're like, well, they unlocked this and now they unlock that and now we're going to unlock this again. It's like, well, no, how does... So So there's some extra work that, that needs to go on there. And I think, honestly, I think the big issue with all of these features is that they want to make sure that they're really locked down security-wise, right? They, any If any of these features becomes the hole by which people can break into an iPhone, then they failed. So I think that that a lot goes into the security stuff and that it makes these features slower to arrive. iPad OS 14.5 got a horizontal boot screen finally. So yeah, I haven't seen that but um but great. Like we mm-hmm. we have been lamenting. Now they just need to change the logo on the back of it. Um we've been Maybe lamenting at least the the on the uh on the Magic Keyboard the logo is the right way around, right? Like mm-hmm. uh I always view the iPad as a horizontal device and not a vertical device, but um, but yes, apparently for the first time, you uh, when you boot, if it's in horizontal orientation, it shows the Apple the right way up. That's that's fun. And today there were reports that uh, it was discovered by intrepid users in on Reddit that iOS fourteen point five has the like the bones for changing your default music app with mm. Siri. So. You can ask Siri to play a song and it'll ask you which music app you want to use and you can choose which one. So you could choose Spotify, uh, etc. So I'm pleased that they're adding this. This is something that I want to see this roll out more and more and more to more types of applications, like not just the the, the small handful that Apple originally ordained at WWDC. Yep. Uh, I want to see this come out further and wider, different types of apps. Uh, Big Sur 11.3 also came out. Uh, you can set HomePod pairs as the default audio output. Um, if this is anything like Apple TV, get ready for Ooh. issues. Oh my God, Jason, it's driving Ooh. me bananas. It's so bad. It's This feature is so bad with the Apple TV, right? Like when it works, it's awesome because I have my two amazing speakers. But every day I have these issues where it pauses, it gets out of sync, the audio starts playing on my TV, 
and at the home pods for a few seconds and then i you know i have to double quit the like i have to double tap quit the app sometimes to get it to work mm. i've had times where the audio gets out of sync and i press home and the audio of the show is still playing until i restart the home pod like i have so wow. many problems with this feature i genuinely think i'm one of the only people in the world that uses it uh, i love it when it works but it really doesn't every day they f- it was fine for a while and then it got bad again so you know. i uh, i appreciate that apple like um macos hasn't had support for you setting up home pod as an output and it's so frustrating because it seems like it would make sense to have a stereo pair home pod as your output um my concern here is you know it's related to your problems which is there's a lot of sound stuff going on in um like mac os i wrote about this in Macworld last week um mac os has a much more sophisticated sound subsystem than ios which is good because it allows us to use things like audio hijack and you know there there's so many reasons why it's good but uh it's way behind in terms of things like airplay to support and output to a stereo pair of home pods and and there there's other issues i have had huge issues with mac os and airpods where they disconnect or they go into the weird like phone voice profile mode it's it's so bad i don't know why this happens and there and there's all these issues there um so i updated to the big sur 11.3 beta um because i wanted to try this stuff out and it was a disaster uh i it it just couldn't play audio at all it would try and not and i couldn't change it and i couldn't open the sound preferences pane it would just never open and i reverted back down to 11.2 and said well i'll see you next time (laughs) like uh so i'm excited about the prospect of this but it sounds like this beta is going to just break audio for a while until they fix all of this stuff and i hope that they don't ship the final 11.3 with it as uh, i mean obviously it's developer beta one but at the same time it was super broken and i have concerns that there's already stuff that's really kind of broken and sound in big sur involving the airpods and i'll just put this on the list um you know that said in, in that macworld story I, I'll, I'll just um I'll mention it here. I did have a moment because um, I'm using my M1 MacBook Air more and I'm using the AirPods with it and discovering all these things that are broken. And um, I did have a very funny moment that uh, happened that I wrote about in that story, which is, you know, I'll, I'll sit out in the backyard and I'm writing on my iPad and I'm listening to music over my headphones and then I'll close up my iPad and come inside and the music is still playing. And I did that on the Mac where I'm like, I'm listening to music and I'm going to go get something. And I close the Mac and I walk. And the moment I close the Mac, the music stops. And I thought, oh, right. Sleep. Um, Mac shouldn't sleep like that anymore, right? On Apple Silicon, that doesn't, the old style sleep doesn't really make sense anymore. They've got the low energy cores and, and the power nap is always turned on. And I had that, it was just a moment of realization where it's like, yeah, actually, if I'm listening to music uh, and I close the screen, you should just keep playing the music, right? Like you should, my iPad keeps playing the music. My iPhone keeps playing the music. Why wouldn't my Mac keep playing the music? And I suspect that that's the direction that they're going is that these Apple Silicon Macs are going to end up having a very different conception of, of being asleep. That's more like an iPad or an iPhone. But for now it just, uh, you know, I've got a list of sound things and music things and other things with, uh, with the Mac OS that it, even though it's more advanced in so many ways than iOS, it's also so behind. (laughs) 
in so many ways. So maybe maybe uh, Big Sur 11.3 will get better and solve some of these problems. But don't don't upgrade now. I, I just don't. Don't do it. So I want to move on to talk about Ecamm Core Recorder for Skype. This is very inside baseball. Ooh, moment but of silence. You know, there's no way we're not talking about this. So Ecamm are a company that have long made uh, audio-based tools uh, for the Mac. Uh, one of their tools, Core Recorder for Skype, loved by podcasters the world over, yeah. is going away. I should say, Ecamm's made a bunch of different utilities. They made a really great utility to let you print to um, to printers that didn't support AirPrint. Oh my God, yeah, um, I forgot about that. And they make and they make Ecamm Live, which is video. It's like yep. live stream video software that's actually really great, and it's Mac only, and it's beautifully um, beautifully done. But Call Recorder for Skype for more than a decade has been the tool that basically every podcaster started to use because everybody used Skype in the early days. And how do you record? And here's a little tool that will automatically record your calls so that you can use those recordings to make a podcast. And it, last week I. Um, I knew that it wasn't working on Apple Silicon, so I just did a check last week to see if they had an update on it, and I and they linked to a tech note, and the tech note said, we will not update this for Apple Silicon. And I, I, and I emailed them, and I said, does this mean that you're killing this product? And they wrote back and said, yes, that's that's it. <laughs> it's the end. So I wrote about it, and it, apparently nobody else had noticed, uh, and that's sort of know. like... And then, and then Gruber linked to it, and then you know it, they it ended up from writing there. a blog post because of they it. did after the fact. They did yeah. instead of I just was, putting it in a tech note. I was disappointed by that. Like a company can decide to do whatever they want to do, but if that was the decision that they made, the way that they communicated it was poor, right? Just like it's in our support, right? Yeah, <laughs> they have my email, right? Email mm-hmm. me, tell me. Like, yeah. I want to know so I can start to make decisions. But they right. wrote, they ended up writing a great. Um, blog posts they spoke i mean and as well anyone that's used this that uses this product that the last year they have had horrible problems with skype so skype will update kills core recorder it's reinstall like there's been some issues right so i think you know maybe maybe they know the writings on the wall for them yeah you know and maybe- it's not fair to say like this isn't the case where it's like well yeah but they haven't done any work on this product in a while it was obviously not like i feel for them because they they when quicktime the old quicktime apis went away they wrote a brand new uh they had, wrote about a new set of movie tools to edit the stuff and they they did a new container file format for it so that it would continue to work without QuickTime and they have made an effort to keep it working with Skype even though Skype tries to kill it every single time it updates to the point where um now it they actually intercept when you launch Skype and say uh you need to reinstall call recorder now because it's not installed like they 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 made a real effort but i do feel like maybe part of this is that the writing was on the wall that Skype really didn't want them to be there and that um something in apple silicon perhaps was the the final the straw that broke the camel's back basically and they're like okay yeah, we're not yeah. going to do this anymore it was possible that it needed a rewrite and they just didn't want to put that time in. Well, they're spending all their time on live and live yep. is a much better like growth opportunity for them going yes. forward. It's a right? it's like, app. Yeah. It's in a, it's in a field that people care about now, which is streaming. And they should be putting all their resources to that because it, there's yeah. lots of things it doesn't do that it could do and it, it you know, but it's already a fairly impressive uh app. So I get it. I totally get it. Yeah, but it, I would just say like I would pay them a stupid amount of money 
as a subscription to keep using this app, but never, nevertheless. Like, what yeah. made Call Recorder so good was that it was very easy to have it record calls automatically. And the benefit of that being it's perfect backup because if me and Jason are on Skype, it's recording. It's recorded. It's guaranteed. recording my correct microphone. I don't have yes. to set my microphone. That so that was one of the huge things about Call Recorder and why I encouraged its use is not only did it auto record, so you didn't have to remember to press record, which people that was a point of failure. I'd be surprised. Also, when you set have somebody record in like QuickTime Player, which is great, they have to select the right microphone. Skype Call Recorder. If you knew Skype Call Recorder was running and you heard their voice coming over the mic- right microphone, you knew you were going to get the right microphone. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case with uh, with other tools where you don't have that extra point of validation. So, you know, again, if we were building a workflow today for podcasts, would we would we do it that way? No. But at, at that point, everybody had Skype. Skype was, you know, Skype was free. Everybody had it. And it was a plug-in that made the recording stuff way easier in an era where it was kind of hard to get people to record their own audio. Um, and so it, it became the core of a workflow that, that survived for uh, more than a decade, really. I mean... We were all using Skype for podcasting before Microsoft bought Skype, right? So, yeah. like, and, and back then, long time ago, it was the only thing realistically. It really was to do what we're doing, and then yeah. you know, once you you wrote about uh, a, a, a piece called "The Mortality of Software," which is such a but like strong title, but really points yeah. out is like once you are in a workflow. You don't want to change it. Like if something's yeah. working, don't disrupt it. And you keep adding little bits on top of it. So you yep. create this thing that is, uh, the word I used is is bricolage, which is a fun word, but it's like you just kind of like a bunch of garbage just kind of gets piled together. But like it's, you've placed it all there and it works for you and it's built up over a decade and mm-hmm. it's it's like a beaver dam or something, right? It's like I put all this stuff together, all these sticks and everything, and now I've got it. And then... um and, and so you keep using it because it's it, it is this is where you know everybody all, all these workflows have inertia right it's like well i've been using it so i'm going to keep using it but that's where the inertia comes from also is that you you keep assembling this structure of stuff that is this is how i do it and then you have a case like this where it's like yeah yoink <laughs> that that part is gone it's just it's or and it's not gone it still works but it works on intel max and and doesn't work on apple silicon max so the writing's on the wall right it's it's mm-hmm. if you buy a, an intel or an apple silicon mac you can't use call recorder so thus it's basically over so for me my typical feeling about this stuff is when something changes when the writing is on the wall i want to move as soon as possible because yep. i don't want if to I find can. myself in a situation where i'm now stuck without a plan well, or like, here, let me give you an example, which is for various reasons, I am recording today on my MacBook Air. Mm-hmm. So I can't use that. I, like, here it is. I can't use Call Recorder because right, I'm on an, an Apple Silicon Mac. MacBook Air. So luckily this had happened. <laughs> well, and then this is, and then this is my point is that, so if I was relying on a workflow that had it at, at its core, I would have to, every time I used this different computer, I'd be like, oh, can't use that. Got to come up with something else. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's been a backup recording for a while for us, right? Like Audio Hijack has been the primary recording for most of the podcasters I know for a while. But uh, there's still lots of people who just rely on Call Recorder. Uh, and we still use it as... Mine. Like, yeah. like, Audio Hijack is my backup. Call Recorder is your was backup. My, was yeah. the one I See? used. Yeah. So... 
So, uh, but, but now that we know it's going away, it's like, well, I can't stay with it. I, I need to come up with, I need to find a new solution that will work and follow me across every Mac that I use. So as of today, Upgrade is now recorded over Zoom. <laughs> That's true. So For now. Why Zoom, you may ask? And please don't stop. You stop right now with that feedback where you're telling me to use whatever app is Chrome-based or whatever, you know. The reason we're using Zoom, there's actually quite a few reasons. We both already have paid accounts. Yep. So we already have accounts. Uh, It's an app, which I want. I don't want to use anything in a web browser. I just don't want to do that. I don't want to use any app that is just for podcasting because there's a lot of VC money being poured into podcasting right now. Mm-hmm. And that bubble's going to burst at some point. So I don't mm-hmm. want to put my, all my eggs into a basket of some application that might go away. So I want to use something like Skype, which is we're not using it for what it's intended for, which probably means it's going to stick around. And um, <laughs> honestly, you look at any kind yeah. of app right now, Zoom is here for the long haul because... Uh, yeah, like Zoom, it or not, it's going to be here. Yep, yeah, exactly. Zoom now means meeting in the same way that Google now means search, right? Like mm-hmm. it, it, it's embedded but one of the great things about zoom compared to all of the other things out there before you say to me what about slack what about facetime what about blah it has built in recording into the application and it does it automatically it does and uh the reason that i use it also it it works on it's cross-platform including mobile Mm -hmm. uh, which is uh, you know there are some non-cross-platform solutions or just mac and windows and I, because I've been looking for tools for this for a while now of like, is there another way to do this? Is there an alternative to Skype? And I, you know, I can't get everything that I want. But one of the things that I think you need to constantly be looking at is, does it work on an iPad? Does it work? Because that would be good. Like, it would be really good if it also worked on an iPad and an iPhone, because sometimes you do need to call somebody who only has one of those devices. But the way Zoom's recording works, and this is why I've been using it for podcasts for a couple of years for the incomparable, is although it makes a, the, the recording that it makes is not local on on like everybody's end. So it's got potentially some like uh, bandwidth cloud-based artifacts in it. You know, if they've got low bandwidth, you may get dropouts and things like that. But that said, it the recording it hands you as the host is an individual track for every single person on the call. And that's super important if you're going to edit audio after the fact. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the perfect, it's actually better than call recorder, which will only yeah. hand you your personal track and then the audio of everybody else on the call. Now for two people, it's fairly simple, but if you have three people like connected or you have a, uh, four people like clockwise, and then you have the incomparable, which has like 90 people on it at one time, uh, it, it helps to have that. It's a huge boost to have that. Uh, and, and right now I'd say zoom is the best in class because of that, even though there are lots of issues with zoom for podcasting. That's sort of what I'd already settled on. And since I have a paid account and you have a paid account, you only need one. The Only the host needs to have a paid account. But um, for those reasons, I think Zoom sounds better than Skype, too. Honestly, I think it actually sounds better while we're talking. You sound much clearer to me today than yeah. than, than I'm used to. Um, mm-hmm. Likewise. I'm, I am now using Audio Hijack. Now is my main recorder, and Zoom right. is the backup. As but the backup. I yeah. want something that has a backup. And uh, I'm very, you know, I'm very 
happy to have a solution that I'm already using and already paying for, right? So, mm-hmm. but it's just, it's a shame. Yeah, and, and I'm open to change, right? Like, I, I would love to find that ideal solution that is... Uh, runs cross-platform, including mobile, and records everybody's files locally and then transmits them over the cloud. Like, I could come up with a list, and I have. (laughs) And there's nothing that does all of them right now. And if we throw your web browser thing in the mix, then there's really nothing that does all of them. But Zoom comes the closest at this point. And so that's where we are for now. But, you know, and, and my... Just to bring this back around to something that isn't podcasting inside baseball, it is... This is the story of you being a computer user, right? Is a new platform comes out or a new operating system comes out and you want to update, but this app that you're using, like I think a lot of people went through this with the 32-bit uh, apocalypse, right? Where you had an app that you've been using and it wasn't really being up- updated and you had that moment where you thought, oh no, <laughs> I can't use it anymore. Which is, I think, your approach of like, well, if it's not going to last into the future, I'm going <laughs> to get rid of it now, mm-hmm. uh, is is another way to approach that, which is I'm not going to wait for the moment where I want to do a, an update to a new Apple operating system and now it breaks. Or in this case, I don't want to buy a new Mac and realize that now my call recorder setup is broken because the new Mac is Apple Silicon and so now I can't use it anymore. But, you know, I, I got a little philosophical on that piece. The truth is that, uh, you know, nothing is forever and software generally, I mean, there's software, the institutional software that will last forever, but most of the stuff that we do, we use is like more independent kind of software, smaller batch software. And that stuff does come and go because the people who make it come and go and their livelihoods change and they, or they get retired or, um, our friend James Thompson pointed out the, the, there's a literally a story of somebody who wrote a piece of software for the Mac who got hit by a bus. He literally got hit by a bus and he was fine. He was fine, but like, it's not even a metaphorical bus. Like we're all people and a more, on a more happy note, they could also just choose to retire, right? Like if the author of your favorite software says, I'm out of here, I'm going to go on a beach somewhere. Thanks for all the, the, you know, license fees. I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm retired. That's it, right? That's it. So, um, all you can really do is, um, accept that change will happen. (laughs) Try to be open to it. Uh, view it as an opportunity. Like I did in the end, I think this is an opportunity. We could have switched to Zoom a long time ago, mm-hmm. and I think it would have been fine. I think it would have been good, but this was the opportunity to do it, <laughs> and so here we are. And um, and I'll be open to other opportunities, but um, I think that's all you can do because in the end, you know, it, it nothing is forever, and and maybe it's good to look at that beaver dam of workflow that you built up over 10 years and go, well, like I had a moment where I was super sad about call recorder dying and it was followed by a moment of, well, of opportunity, which was like, oh, well with call recorder, not in the mix, like I can revisit all sorts of assumptions mm-hmm. <laughs> with that. Cause that was the base assumption and with it gone, well, it was based on Skype being the only tool available. And then everything came from there. But with Skype call recorder gone, like Skype's been lousy for a long time. <laughs> We've been like, yeah, but call recorder. So, you know, in the end it is an opportunity for change and nobody likes change, but it's inevitable. So might as well go with it. This episode is brought to you by Hover, one of our longest running sponsors here on Upgrade and Relay FM. And one of the things I love about Hover is they enable me and you for when you have that big idea, that new thing that you want to do, where do you go? Your business starts with a domain name. For so many entrepreneurs, Hover is that first step. It is that big 
leap. Hover has over 300 domain name extensions to choose from, and that is the dot whatever, right? They have .com, they have .co, they have .coffee.pizza, .live. No matter what you're looking for, Hover has the domain for you that's waiting for you right now. You just go and search for it. Go to hover.com, type in what you're looking for, and they will show you all of the options. They'll show you relevant ones and then maybe some that you might want to look at. They also, what I like is you can just type in a bunch of words or hover and they'll do their best to try and put them together. Like maybe the combination of words that you want just so happen to have a domain option that fits perfectly. Well, hover's going to get it to you. They have great technical support to answer any questions you may have. Hover is dedicated to getting you online and not upselling you. One of my favorite examples of this is they give you free who is privacy wherever available. So bad guys do not get your information. If you don't have who is privacy, you have your own personal information attached to the domain registration. Some people will make you pay for that. I love that with Hover, you don't have to. They have a great user experience. Their UI is fantastic to use. I love just how easy it is to forward a domain to somewhere else. Most of the domains that I buy, I'm forwarding to somewhere. You know, like I have like cortexmerch.com, mike.live. These are domains that I really love. They're great brands for me. I register them all on Hover and they push off to other places online. I think that's really great. Um, it's like another one, up like getupgradeplus.com, which we have, goes to our Upgrade Plus join page. And all of these are registered on Hover. I have an idea. I go register it and push it off to where it needs to go. It's fantastic. We know that you love great user experiences. It's one of the reasons that I recommend Hover. It's so easy to use, so simple to get what you need done. So go and buy your domain and start using it today. Go to hover.com slash upgrade and you will get a 10% discount on all new purchases. That's hover.com slash upgrade to get a 10% discount on all new purchases. Make a name for yourself with Hover. Now, thanks to Hover for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right, let's do some hashtag ask upgrade questions to finish out today's show. The first one comes from Nick, and Nick wants to know, Jason, do you use finger guns when you make the pew-pew sound? Absolutely not. I just <laughs> lean into the microphone and the lasers emerge. Do you ever do you have any kind of imagination that goes along with it? Like, is there an image in your head? Uh, or no, is it just so... Not- built into you now it's like just like a pavlovian response it's just it's like the theme song for ask upgrade is is lasers (laughs) i'm happy that you think of it that way ryan asks do you still think that the displays on future macs will feature rounded corners considering the design changes that came with big sur uh yes do you think we're gonna get that this year with the new, if like any Mac has a new design, you think it will get well, the rounded. The edge? first, first thing is they could they could just put the rounded corners on in Big Sur, right? Like they yeah. could just do it. There, there's software that you can get that will just round the corners for you, right? Like you can do that if you want. I think it looks better with the rounded corners, to be honest. But you know, I, I I'm, I'm, it's a direction Apple is going with its other hardware. So I think it would not you know, surprise me at all that they would do that on the Mac. Um, they could do it by software do. instead of hardware. But yeah, I think, I really I think it looks better. I the little pixels in the corners. I really don't like it. I, I want them. I don't want to see like this couple of pixels. Everything is rounded in Big Sur except the corners of the screen. Yeah. So I don't get it. And, and, and not just in Big Sur in the window, but then you look at the outside of the displays and they're all curved on the laptops. So it's... It's a very weird sharp edge amid many curves, but it, it's possible that they're waiting to reduce the bezel 
because that bezel could get a lot smaller. I was looking at the, my MacBook Air the other day and thinking, you know, from the perspective of my old MacBook Air, the bezel on this thing is so much smaller. But it's also from the perspective of like an iPad or an iPhone, it's still enormous. <laughs> so there's more room to be eked out of the the display by pushing the bezel um, further and further out. So uh, maybe that's an opportunity to put a curve in there too. I don't know. Some great real-time follow-up in the Relay FM Discord from Ryan, who's put a link to Cortex Animated, episode 109. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also a time-stamped uh, link, so I'll put it in the show notes. This is a uh, an illustrative look of Jason during the pew-pew-pew <laughs> sounds. Uh, I, th- I think you're kind of Godzilla-like um, in this, in this yeah. animation. I wasn't aware that I was uh, a character in Cortex Animated, and then I watched Cortex Animated, and uh, I am, yes, it's a Godzilla-like robot me emerging from the sea to fire finger lasers at a city. And I'm just watching Cortex Animated, you know, just as you do, and I'm like, wait, wait a second, was that, was that me? And I went back, I'm like, yeah, that is me. That is me as a robot monster firing lasers. So, it was great. Our very talented animator, Heijin Butek, asked me about that, and I said, yes, do it, and then forgot to tell you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm pleased it was, a, it was a nice surprise. Yeah. I, I, I am glad that I, it was a complete surprise while uh-huh. I was watching the thing, because what are the chances that somebody isn't going to say, that you weren't going to say, or that uh, a viewer isn't going to say, but nobody told me about it. And I, I was just watching, and I had that moment. It was delightful. Uh, Phil asks... I got an M1 MacBook Air this week, upgrading from a 2012 15-inch MacBook Pro. My word, what, what an yeah. update that must feel like. Wow. Uh, uh, and this gives you an example of how big of an update this is for Phil. Phil's question is, I've been having difficulty with dragging files. Whenever I go to drag a file, force touch kicks in. Should I turn it off? <laughs> uh, okay, so, <laughs> so, so Phil is an aggressive button masher yeah clearly well the thing is if you are used to the old trackpad style which had just the one point of actuation yep you probably weren't aware of how hard you were pressing Mm -hmm. yeah probably so probably so my answer phil is i'm looking at my trackpad settings right now um i have force click and haptic haptic feedback turned off right and that solves it (laughs) So this, this, is, this is, is off. <laughs> what Phil wanted to know, if they should just turn it off. So what I'll say is, one thing you should do is just, they have a light, medium, and firm clicking. Yes. Maybe try out those three options and see if you like that. But I will tell you, uh, force cl- the force clicking action, actions, not that, not that great, really. Not, um, not super important. But yeah, that, I highly recommend people go to the trackpad. Uh, system preferences pane because you, it's a, a surprising amount of things you can do there. You, You'll learn some stuff. You turn on silent clicking, which is great because uh, trackpads, Apple like juices the click because remember they don't click anymore, not for real. They sense the pressure and they vibrate and make a sound and it makes it feel like it's a click, but it's not. It's all a lie. It's in your head. And you can turn on silent clicking and then the audio portion, the fake audio goes away. It still makes a noise because the vibration makes a noise, but it's less of a noise. Um, and I actually have silent clicking turned on because why would I want more noise? I oh do my podcasts. word, I didn't know about silent clicking. Right, that's tough. Oh, silent clicking. 
Yeah. And then I have force click and haptic feedback turned off. And then the click settings where you can go light, medium, and, and firm. The beauty of having a fake click instead of a real click is you can set how hard you need to push for the click to be registered, which is great. And then, of course, there's like tracking speed and 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 other stuff that's in there. It's also the only, is it the only Apple preference pane that has videos that autoplay in it, which is weird. I, I know why they do it, but it's also kind of weird. But there's a lot you can do with modern trackpads in terms of, because they're not real like right because they're fake the magic trackpad 2 and modern apple laptop ones where i mean they're not fake but like they don't depress in order to make a click it's all vibrations and sounds and stuff because it's measuring the force pushed on the surface instead so uh try it out phil and you'll find a way to make yourself happy with your uh with your clicking and your dragging i mean that's that's where you also turn on uh, just tapping rather than to to select, which I also like. Oh, I hate that. I don't like that, but I like that. Tap to click. It's the worst. Finally, Ryan asks, do you think Apple have added the Apple Watch authentication for unlocking your phone because they've realized they cannot deliver Touch ID this year? Conspiracy. I, I say no because I think they're, like I said earlier in the show, there are a lot of Face ID phones out there. And even if you were coming with a face ID uh, iPhone in the fall, you're going to have a lot of face ID or a touch ID phone in the fall. Um, You're going to have a lot of face ID phones that are still out there and you want to make those people happy. Also it's February. (laughs) So let's assume this feature ships in March sometime. Like that's good. That's really good um, for a lot of reasons. Um, So I, I think, I think no. I, I get the conspiracy, which is like, well, if we if we uh, do this feature and we deliver Touch ID in the fall, then we're kind of undercutting a recent to upgrade, which is for Touch ID. I don't think it comes to that. I think this is really about getting something out there that they probably started working on last year at some point, and they only got it, it delivered now because there are so many phones out there that are are on Face ID and and you know don't work with masks. So I think it's that simple. It's fun, though, that there's going to be another big feature released around this time of year. You know, we got the uh, trackpad support last right. year around around this kind of time. And uh, it, it was like late February, early March, I think. And now the uh, I reckon that's probably when we're going to get this is late February, early March, I reckon, before before 14.5 comes out. It seems kind of like around the time. If you would like to send in a question for us. To answer on the show, just send out a tweet with the hashtag AskUpgrade or use question mark AskUpgrade in the RelayFM members Discord that you get access to if you sign up for Upgrade Plus, where you also get lots of fantastic content. Uh, we were talking, I think maybe last time, about the um, interviews that you were doing for the 20 Max of 2020. You posted another one of those at John Syracuse. So you get access to yep. that feed as well if you're an Upgrade Plus subscriber. Go to getupgradeplus.com to sign up and you'll also get Upgrade without any ads and we have additional content each and every week. Thank you so much if you have signed up to help support the show. I would also like to thank Hover, DoorDash, and Fitbod for their support of this episode and for you for listening. We'll be back next time. You can find Jason online. He's at sixcolors.com and at jsnell, uh, also at theincomparable.com, and I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E. Until next week, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Goodbye, my curly. Goodbye, my curly.